0: Good morning. Glad everybody's here to worship with us. I'm going to clear some space for myself up here. Um, I'd like to give us an update on our Christmas offering. This is the last day that we'll be receiving the Christmas offering. And so far, we've had $16,785 come in. And like I said, we're wrapping it up today. Appreciate your generosity. It's going to different ministries in different places. And it's going to be fun uh, to know that those checks are being written. I'm not going to write the checks. I have nothing to do with our money. <laughs> but to know that they're written is all I need. That's going to be a lot of fun for us as a congregation to be able to, to hand that out uh, to the ministries who really can use it. Um, we are turning the corner this week on a decade. That's kind of amazing to me. It doesn't seem like ten years ago that we were talking about Y2K. Um, here we are in, heading into 2010. And I don't know, it, it seems to be a natural thing. Whenever you turn the corner on a year and you click over to the next year, you begin to evaluate your life. And you start thinking about what we call resolutions or changes that we want to make. We we think through what's going on and, uh, you know, Many of them sometimes after the holidays focus on health. You know, we've been eating very poorly. <laughs> At least I have. Okay, through the holidays, and so we think, all right, the New Year's coming. I'm going to eat better. Maybe I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to I'm going to work out. Whatever your resolution is, you're starting to think about turning the corner. Maybe it's to make to make your marriage better. Uh, to be a better father. Maybe you have a two-year-old and you're trying to figure out how do you relate to this this person here, <laughs> or a teenager, and you know that's that's another challenge. So uh, you you think about how do I how can I be a better parent, father or mother? What is it, what is it going to take? Um, maybe you've been walking with the Lord and he he's sort of encouraging you to learn how to share your faith, but and you, you've been sort of silent about it. You're, you want to try to figure out how, how can I learn to share my faith. Well, uh, we tend to look for shortcuts in, in these areas. We, we, we have goals. We have things we'd like to change about ourselves. And we're looking for the quickest route there. And that, that reminds me of my trip from Texas. A friend of mine helped me move in the U-Haul. Wow, when I step up there, it feels like I'm going to take off. <laughs> I better, <laughs> I better stay back here. Um, I really don't want to. Sh- <laughs> um, anyway, uh, you know, we, we, I had driven the route from, Cindy and I had been in Fort Worth for five years going to graduate school. I'd driven the southern route on, uh, 20 and 10, I don't know how many times, but we're on our way back in the U-Haul, trugging along, and I decide, let's try to find a shortcut. And on the map, it looked like, no, no GPS, no Google Maps this time. I'm ancient. Um, it looked like Highway 8 would be, a, or, or uh, Interstate 8 would be a little shortcut. And it would have been except for the terrain. When we were taking the U-Haul through the small mountain roads, it, it took, it took a lot longer than the other route. We, we tend to look for shortcuts on making the changes that we want to make in our life. And, the fact of the matter is, there is no microwave approach to growth and change. There, there is no, no way to do that. It takes, it takes time. And so, what we're gonna look at today is, as you, as you have goals, maybe there's some changes you wanna make, some growth you'd like to see happen in your life, in your family life, in your, your walk with the Lord, uh, just in changes in your health, maybe in ministry, we're going to look at some, some really some major perspectives from the Bible that you find that are very important as you start to make those changes. Because it, it's, it's, it, it just takes a certain mentality to see it through. And the scripture gives us the right mentality. So we're going to have a two-week series. This week we're going to look at how evil lurks near good intentions. And how do you actually follow through with good intentions? What, what does it take? What has God provided? What does he say about following through on our good intentions? And then um, second, which is another shocking truth, dying is the best way to live. That's, that's what you find in Scripture. Denying yourself actually turns out to be the the track to life, the way that God has designed it to work. So the Bible... Is clear on these things, and we're going to look at them over the next couple of weeks. It's, it's clear in Scripture that when you set out to do good, you're in an all-out war. And so, don't be shocked when evil lurks near good intentions. Just don't be surprised by that. Romans 7, 21 through 25 says this. And I, I have, this passage has been a, an encouragement to me. Because the man who wrote it wrote two-thirds of the New Testament or so, Paul. And he's having the same struggle that I tend to have when I try to change. And so it's, a, it's amazing to me. It's very encouraging to me to hear him say this. And that's, I appreciate that about Scripture. It, it, it's right where we live. Very honest. This is what Paul says. This is what God had him write. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me for in my inner being i delight in god's law but i see another law at work in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members what a wretched man that i am who will rescue me from this body of death thanks be to god through jesus christ our lord So then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law. But in the sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. Sinful nature, that he's talking about, is our old ways of doing things. Because once you decide to follow Christ, Scripture says His Spirit enters into your heart and life. And you have the power available to you to live a new life. The power that the, the Spirit provides. But the, the old nature, the sinful nature, is not going to leave until the day we die. It's going to be taken away the day we die, but we still struggle with this sinful nature. And that's our old strategies, our old way of doing things when we were depending on ourselves. And the picture in Scripture is that there are two realms. There's a realm of the Spirit, there's Sort of this realm, if you're, if you're living by the Spirit and the Spirit's power, these things go on. If you're living in the flesh or the sinful nature, it's also referred to as the flesh, then these things tend to grow. There's kind of weeds. There's fruit that grows if you walk in the Spirit. There's weed that grows. Weeds. We'll say weeds. <laughs> that grow if you're walking in the Spirit. In the flesh. Literally it could be weed. I don't know. Hey, maybe that wasn't such a slip. Um, but anyway, our sinful nature is our old self that relies on me, my old strategies. I'm depending on myself, living life independent of God. And there are certain things that grow out of that in our relationships. And as we set out to change, there's certain things that are going on. If you don't know this and you don't keep it in mind, As you try to do good, as you try to change, as you're reaching toward your goals, you get very discouraged, and it's easy to quit. And this is one of the reasons why New Year's resolutions, many times, don't last through the middle of January. It's because we don't we don't realize we're we're in a battle. The wrong things and the destructive habits and things are quick and easy. But the right thing is time-consuming and hard. And so we, we need to know that going in. Uh, righteousness, doing right by God, that's what righteousness means. Doing right by God is harder up front, but it's easier in the long run. It's better. The fruit that grows is, is tremendous. But doing the wrong things, caving into sin, is easier up front, but harder down the road. That shortcut we took was great for a while until we hit the mountains. That's, that's how it is with, with sin. How, how many of you know this by experience, the passage that we just looked at? How many of you, just raise your hands real quick, you know this. Man, when you set out to do good, evil's there, and it's unexplainable. It just seems, how, why can't I make progress in this? Why can't I? So, since this is the case, we're going to look at what Scripture says about this. How do we follow Good intentions. How do we follow through on the good that we want to do? I heard a, a guy this week, I was, it was an audio book, and I heard him say that living the Christian life, setting out to do right before God, is like being in a road race and somebody's on an overpass. As you're going under the overpass, they dump a, a, a dump truck's worth of mud on your car, and you can't, you can't see out the windshield. And that's, that's really how it is. We have an enemy who's trying to sabotage us. Actually, the scripture says we have three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world system, that the entire way of thinking is against what God values and what's important to him and his way of living and doing life. That's, that's one. The second one is ourselves. Sometimes we're our own worst enemies. That's what Paul was talking about in Romans 7. What is that? Our flesh fights against what's really good for us. And then uh, the third enemy is the devil himself. He he is coming against us. It's a spiritual battle that we're fighting in and that we deal with as we set out to do good. So it's like having a bunch of mud on the windshield and you need a windshield wiper strong enough to get it out of your way so you can see how to make progress ahead. This guy said that God's truth is the, the, the windshield wiper and the power of the Holy Spirit powers it, gives you the power to move, to move that thing. So we're going to look at some things that I think will really help us as we set out to change and move forward in the new year. First thing to do to follow through on your good intentions, let grace be your personal trainer. Titus 2. 11 through 14 says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. This this is Jesus Christ has come. He's poured out his grace. We didn't get what we deserved. We didn't get judgment. But he gave us grace and took the judgment on himself. This grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It teaches us to live for the long term, not the short term. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's when everything's going to be made right. We're going to be made completely right when he comes back and takes us to heaven. Uh, Things are going to be set right in our hearts. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth that's made. And that's our hope. Boy, if your hope is in this life, that is a miserable existence. Because there's one frustration after the other. There's one disappointment after the other. And and life can be good as you walk with the Lord. But there's always this edge of this is driving me crazy. This is scary. This is is something else. So uh, our hope is there. We wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. He, he wants us to be eager to do the good thing, to do what's right. And it is a long, hard road to do that. There are at least two ways that the grace of God trains us. To say no to the worldly passions, the instant gratification. And, and it, it teaches us to live for the longer term, not the short term. First of all, it gives us the courage to admit our sin. That's what grace does. It's, it's needed. We need to be able to admit that we need to change, that we've done wrong, that we've blown it, in order to take the first step toward being different. The first step toward change is saying, "Wow, I need to change. There's something wrong here. I've got, I've got the wrong attitude. I've got, I've got to shift. I've got to shift the, my habits for the better here." And grace gives us the courage to say, "Wow, I blew it." The reason it does is because whenever that 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 passage we read earlier, Romans seven. 21 through 25. My, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Romans 8-1. It's the one that right, follows it. He's talking about the way, the war that's waging in, in his, in his heart, in his mind, and there's this battle going on. And he says, Jesus Christ is going to give me the victory. He's going to set me free from that. And then in Romans 8-1, he says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We, we tend to, we tend to be so feel so condemned for this war that goes on inside and the struggle that we have that we constantly need the grace of God to go into our hearts and minds and lives to experience it, to turn to God, God, I blew it again. I can't believe it. I was trying not to say that. I was trying really pretty... I I didn't want to do that. But here I am again, God. I, I, I need your forgiveness and acceptance and... He gives it. And so to begin the the path toward change and to continue on the path toward change, we desperately need the grace of God, unmerited favor that God pours into our lives. That's what grace is. It's We haven't earned it. We haven't earned the right to have a relationship with God. But in Jesus Christ, he came and forgave us our sin. He paid the price for our sin he took it on himself that's the good news that you find in scripture we don't have to pay for it but but many times we're sort of like a good good used car salesman a a good used car salesman when you walk on the lot that's why i hate to go on the lot because usually i'm there because i want to buy a car i don't just go look around because i'm dangerous because they can talk me into a lot of stuff so i don't i don't like that but um, a good used car salesman, as soon as you start looking at a car, he's, he's telling you all the features, what a great price it is, how how dependable the car is. He's building it up because he's trying to establish the worth of that car. Because he's anticipating that you're going to get to the point where you're going to start haggling. And he wants you to have it in your mind that the car is a, is worth the price that's set on that car. Now we tend to do this with god we we tend to try to cover ourselves and it's hard to admit wrong when you're trying to uh, establish your own worth as a person it's very hard you know to to god you know i i i don't know i i can't deal with this i i hate to admit that i'm wrong because I, I need to try to sell you, that I'm worthy. But God's already paid the price for our sin in Jesus Christ. He's already established your worth as a person and my worth as a person because He gave His Son to die on the cross for our sin. That is priceless. Invad- that is priceless. You and I are priceless before the living God. And so while we hesitate to admit our wrong, which is the first step to change, we can freely admit it. Oh, I blew it there. God, would you forgive me? And we can know that he will. And he will give us the power to begin to change. If you know God's grace, it's easier to admit you're wrong. Because one of the things we struggle with when we're trying to change is condemnation. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The message of the gospel, the message of the scripture, the New Testament, is that he paid the price for us. That makes us invaluable to the God of the universe who created everyone here. Second thing grace does to help is it motivates us and it gives us the perseverance to stay after the change. We, we don't want to let God down because he's paid this price for us. If, if you're taking advantage of grace, well, I know God, you know, I'm just going to pile up a bunch of sin and ask God to forgive me. Then you don't really understand what God's done. Your, your heart hasn't been touched with the grace that he pours out to you and I as we, as we turn to him once and for all and, and ask for, for help confess our sin and get the, the freedom from it that he offers so uh, first of all let grace be your personal trainer secondly walk by the Spirit's power it's another challenge Galatians 5:16 uh, through 18 or through 17 says but I say walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit, Against the flesh, for they, these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. There's that battle again. So the, the, the solution to, to, to change and allowing the right things to grow in you is to walk by the Spirit, in the Spirit's power, with His help, through Him. Not, not your own thing. This, one thing the Scripture does for you, one thing the Bible does, and it really helps, is it clues you in to the dynamics that are going on as you set out to do good. As you set out to change and do the right thing before God, it clues you into these dynamics. We have a tradition—it's sort of a sort of kooky tradition in our family. On Christmas Eve, we always watch *Christmas Vacation*. And as I, as I, as I, some reason, as I read this passage this week, um, that scene where Clark Griswold—he's—he's he's put out all the lights. He spent an unbelievable amount of time and energy. Got his son Rusty to help him. Put out all the lights, brings the family out. there's a drum roll drum roll. He plugs them together, and nothing happens. So then the next I don't know how long it is day or so, he's trying to figure out what's going on with with the lights, and he can't he can't figure it out. Well, he's out there the next night, I believe it's the next night, I can't tell time frame, but anyway, he's out there working on the lights, and he's, he, he puts the 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 plug together again. And nothing happens. And then all of a sudden, the lights come on. Well, what you're able to see as the viewer of the movie is that his mom walked into the garage, flipped a switch, and that what, that's what turned the lights on. Well, he's, he's excited briefly. He calls the family out, you know, and they come out and he, he goes to show them the lights. And she walks out of the garage, flips the switch off, and there are no lights. And then that's kind of a comical scene. I wish I could show you, but it's, it wouldn't be good. Um <laughs> But at that point, he's kicking. He's kicking the. He's kicking reindeer. He's karate chopping reindeer. Santa, you know, he's he's upset with with what's going on. Um. Then his wife goes into the garage, flips the switch, the lights come on again. They figure it out. She figures it out. She's walking through the kitchen. Oh yeah, that okay. The the switch. That's it. Well, that's how it is in our lives. We we go through our lives and we're we're trying to do good. And somebody ran somehow there's a random switch that gets flipped, and boy, there's power. Well, what this passage is telling us is, this is the key to the power. Walking by the Spirit. You flip the switch. You can decide. You and I can decide whether we're walking in the Spirit or whether we're walking in the flesh. When you're walking in the flesh, the passage right after the one that I just read, Galatians 5:16 16, 17... It outlines, it, it gives you some of the weeds. It, it tells you the weeds that grow when you're living by the flesh. And I don't have it on the screen, but sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. You're depending on other things than God. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. There's, there's separation. When, when you're in the flesh, you, you, there's, you're, you're living by anger. You're, you're, the way you're relating to people, it's separating you from them. It's causing splits in relationships. Uh, there's envy that sort of for, for no reason. It's just envy in your heart. You're jealous. You're envious of a person, and it, it separates you from them. These things are going on as you live by the flesh. But then it spells out. Those, those are like weeds. It talks about the fruit. Of the Spirit. Fruit, that's, that's stuff that nourishes you. This is good stuff that grows. The fruit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self control. That's what grows as you live in. And so, the way it works, something Clark didn't realize, (laughs) there's a switch. As you, as you identify the deeds of the flesh, the fruit, the, the weeds of the flesh in your life, you can flip, God, that was wrong. That was so wrong to say that. It is so wrong to act that way. Will you forgive me? And you go to the person, get their forgiveness. And that's, and, and God, would you, I confess. To confess your sin only means to agree with God about it. God, that was wrong. That's right. And you can do that because of the grace of God. You can have the courage because God pours his grace into your heart and life. God, that was wrong. Will you fill me with your spirit to do right before you? You're back into the realm of the spirit. And that process should probably go on several times a day. I don't know how many times. But with me, the way I'm wired, I've got to get out of the flesh and back into the Spirit and trust God to work through me and allow Him to do that. I flip the switch. So walk by the Spirit's power. And then thirdly, this one might surprise you, but get the right picture of heaven in mind. It's the last thing um, in, in terms of following through on, on good intentions. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died when you committed your life to Christ. You, you surrendered yourself. You died to your old self, and and you, you decided to follow him. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. It's important for us to learn what heaven's going to be like, really. Because... If we get an accurate picture of it, then it allows us to say no to the instant gratification right here and now, and live for the long term rather than the short term. We have a, we tend to have a very bland view of heaven. It, 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 the the emotional because you know you read in the scripture about some of the symbols that are used, and it, it feels like it's going to be very bland, um, like eating salty, saltine crackers for eternity. And seven up. It just, that doesn't sound very, very fun. In fact, I was on an airplane one time, and I was sitting next to uh, a lady, young lady, who was, uh, her father was uh, one of the key leaders in a pseudo-Christian group. And she asked me what I thought heaven was going to be like. She said, do you, you know, do you think you're going to sing in a choir? Uh, in a white robe for eternity. I mean, does that appeal to you? And I thought, first of all, boy, that would be a miracle if I could sing. And I, I think I think it will be. I think my voice will get better. But I thought, you know, really, the, the white robe, she goes, well, what do you think it's going to be like? And I said, I I, I don't know. Because what she said is, that's not enough for me, worshiping God for eternity. That's just not enough for me. And that's a tactic that this group uses. It's actually the enemies behind it. But um, I said, well, I don't, I don't know what God's going to have me doing, but I know it's going to be interesting, and it's going to glorify him, and it's going to be the best existence that I could imagine. And so that if, if I didn't really know what Scripture said, uh, there are some symbols that are confusing that we don't quite understand. So what I would like to do before we wrap up is look at some of the symbols in heaven, of heaven in scripture, in order to get a clear picture, because we're not going to be in a white robe worshiping God all day long. We're going to we're going to have stuff to do. It's going to be an adventure. It's going to be exciting. But here's here's what the symbols are. And here's what they really mean. First of all, it's, it's pictured as a city, city of God, heavenly city. What's important is not that it's like a city on a map with a geographical location like Diamond Bar or L.A. or the city you live in, but it's a community. What are the best parts of a community? You know people and they know you. You have friends that you can count on in a crunch. You have friends that you can celebrate your victories with. In a small town, what, you know, there's there's a parade for the stuff that happens. And people are celebrating the, the victories with you. Uh, when there's a need, everybody serves. They're pitching in. And, and they're helping one another out. Life, there's there There's the opportunity for lifelong friendships to develop. You know, hey, Bill over there, we went to kindergarten together. We've grown up together. He's been there for me the whole time I've grown up. This is actually, church life is supposed to be a little picture of that. A little picture of heaven where we have this community among ourselves. Relationships in heaven will be full of love and free of conflict. That's the idea. It's a city. It's a city of God. He's laid the foundations. And the foundations of life that he lays brings the best kind of relationship and community that we can imagine. That's what it means when it says heaven's going to be a city. It talks about mansions in heaven. Not really referring necessarily to a huge, expensive home, but it's symbolic. It's symbolic of a sturdy shelter. That we need. A home is primarily a shelter. First thing they do on Survivor is they build a shelter. And the, the group that does better tends to build the, the better shelter. But shelter's important. important. Um, ideally, home is a safe place to come to after a hard day. Heaven is a safe place to go to after a hard life. That's the idea in the mansion. Uh, you will be safe and cozy there. <laughs> you, you will not be exposed to anything dangerous or harmful. You will be free from fear, worry, sorrow, heartache. God, God will keep us safe in that place. talks about white robes. Uh, these are not too thrilling in our culture. A white robe uh, may not be in your color wheel. White may not be the best color for you. You may not wear it well. Um, but the white robe is symbolic of righteousness. And the idea behind the white robe is that we will not be stained at all by sin. Sin will not stain us at all. God will give us the righteousness of Christ to wear. It's the robe we're going to wear in him. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is given to us. A robe is also a symbol of sonship. So it means we will be God's children and he will be our dad. There will be no more shame or regret. No more sense of failure due to sin. Boy, that's that's gonna be a great day. And that's that's just gonna be really cool. There, it talks about rivers and streets of gold. Um, this is a picture. I don't think we'll literally have rivers and streets of gold. If God wanted us to, uh, we will. They won't be overdone. I think they'll just they'll be done just right. Um, but this is a picture. It means that heaven is a land of abundance. It's a place of abundance. If you're paving the street with gold and not asphalt, you have an amazing amount of resources there available to you. You have abundance. That's the idea behind the rivers and streets and gold. Then there's always a throne. As you read scripture, it talks about the throne of God. It's not, it's not the fact that there is a throne, the physical throne itself. That's the big deal. But it's the one who sits on the throne. Being in God's presence is going to be invigorating. It's going to invigorate us. You, you know how it is to be with good friends and you're enjoying yourself so much that you just lose track of time? That's heaven. Being in the presence of God. And we're going to have an eternity to enjoy that. We won't have to keep track of time. We've got forever to do that. That's the picture. That scripture paints of heaven. That's why Paul says in Colossians 3, set your mind on heavenly things, not on earthly things. Look forward to the reward that we're going to enjoy, and that will pull you along to say no. Grace teaches us to say no. The power of the Holy Spirit gives us the power to say no. And having the accurate picture of where we're heading for eternity helps us to say no. We need Christ. We need the, the Lord Jesus to help us as we move toward these things, as we want to grow and change and develop. Um, he, he is crucial. Without Christ, we are actually locked out of the joys of heaven. Actually, we're locked away. That's a better term. Romans 7:23. Remember, Paul says, I, I'm, I'm a prisoner of sin. Without him, we're not set free. He, he gives us the freedom uh, to be different. To change. He gives us forgiveness from our sin. Um, the robes, our robes would be stained without the righteousness of Christ. His is, his is white, pure white, no sin. Community would be full of conflict and pain. If, if, if I went to heaven the way I am, if you went to heaven the way you are, it would be ruined in a very short order because sin Needed to be dealt with. We needed Christ's help. If we go to heaven with the heart we have, it won't be heaven for long. We need a new heart. And that's what God's done in Jesus Christ. He's made a way. He's arranged to give us a new heart. If we'll just turn from going our own way, turn around and decide to walk with him to go God's way, he forgives us and he gives us the ability and the power to change. He gives us a new heart. We only have to admit our sin, accept what Christ has done on our behalf, and decide to live for him. That's what Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says. It's not in your notes or on the screen, but it says, For by grace we have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. It's not because of works. Excuse me. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done. He gives us a new heart, and that heart begins to change us. (coughs) Excuse me. That was a bad idea. Try to recover here. The heart and the help that God gives us in the here and now will help us deal. with the evil that lurks near the good intentions that we have. I'm pretty sure I'll come back in a moment here. Sorry. Uh, um, We're going to be receiving our offering in a few moments. There are some next steps that you may want to take. They're on the connection card. You may want to let us know that you're intending to take one of these steps and drop it in the offering. It's a way to say, God, I'm going to I'm intending to do this.
1: And then rely on the
0: grace of God. <laughs> let him let grace train you. <clears throat> and walk by the spirit's power. As you keep in mind the, the reward we have waiting in heaven. But here are the next steps. First of all, you may want to memorize Galatians 5.16. To remind yourself not to walk in your own power, but to walk in the Spirit's power. And then secondly, I will rely on God's grace and Spirit to follow through on my good intentions. When you meet opposition, Father, help me. Help me through this. I don't want to rely on myself. I don't want to strive through this on my own power, but I need your help. When you blow it, Father, that was wrong. Will you forgive me and fill me with your spirit again? And then you may want to read Revelation twenty-one through twenty-two nine to help get get an accurate picture of heaven. That's where the major description of what heaven's going to be like is that you can read and sort of get a, an accurate picture. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the truth that we find in your word. It does set us free, God. It sets us free to be the, the people that you've made us to be and the people that really bring honor to you. Thank you for your grace that you pour out. You've forgiven us in Jesus Christ. And as we, as we turn to you, we find acceptance and grace, and the power to be different. Thank you, God, for what you've done. Thank you for the help that you give. I pray that as these next steps have been laid on our heart, uh, that you would give us the power to, to, to walk this way and to take these steps. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.